Hello, who's this? Hello, this is Tom Morello calling. What's up, Tom Morello? Hey, we're starting the podcast in like three minutes. Hit that uh, link I sent you for Zoom, and we'll do this thing. Here we go! Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Strikers here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Here we go. We are off and running. The debut episode of Tuna on Toast is brought to you by Hamer Toyota here in Southern California. I have to brag about these guys for a minute. I had worked with them seven years in a row when I was on the radio station KROQ, K-Rock. When I left K-Rock, I thought that relationship, the working relationship would be over. I love the people that work there, so the personal relationships... I figured would continue, but they told me that they would not feel authentic as a company if all of a sudden they started working with another host. And their words were, Striker, whatever you do, we would like to be a part of it. And I'm like, well, I'm doing this podcast called Tuna on Toast. And they said, in 30 seconds, we're in. We would love to be part of it. Hammer Toyota in Southern California, specifically Mission Hills, hammertoyota.com is the website. Mr. Tom Morello will be on in just a couple minutes. Uh, would love to get to a few things. There's some of you, probably a majority of you right now, that we met through my time at K-Rock, 22 years at the radio station KROQ. And there's some of you here who are just checking this out, like, what is Ted Stryker? What is Tuna on Toast? Let's get to Tom Morello. So K-Rock was the most important radio station in the country for many, many years of any format, especially under the rock umbrella. And I was beyond lucky to work there during its heyday. I mean, to be just a small piece to that puzzle, a small piece to that operation was unbelievable. And I am so grateful for that opportunity. But over the last year and a half, basically when the pandemic started and there were a few changes there, it wasn't just one day where I became super unhappy, it was a snowball effect. And I'd be unhappy, and then it would get worse and worse and worse, and I didn't really love the job like I used to. And I'm somebody, if you've heard me over the years, man, I love broadcasting, I love music, I love uh, discussing topics with artists, and I loved the radio station. I loved the letters K-R-O-Q and what it used to stand for. And all of that excitement, all of my enthusiasm, any light that I had externally and internally felt extinguished. And then one day I was looking in the mirror and I said, boy, you're going bald and your forehead's getting a lot bigger. But also I asked myself, what are you doing, man? If you don't like the situation you're in now, potentially there's opportunities outside of this place you have been for 22 years. Go do it. And so it wasn't even that tough a decision. I told them that I was done, how I was feeling. They said, can you work two more weeks? I said, yeah. Then they said, can you work two more? I said, yes. They said, can you work three more after that? I said, yes. I gave them seven weeks extra, maybe even more than that. But here's one thing that I knew was going to happen. You know, I was in the middle of a contract. So I left the company. I left the company that owns K-Rock, which is called Audacity or Odyssey. It was called Radio.com. It was called Entercom. And when you leave in the middle of the contract, and I understand this, they stop paying you that exact second. And believe me, the millisecond 
They had the opportunity to stop paying me. They stopped. And that's okay. And here we are, episode number one. I feel like I've got my mojo back. My light is back. My enthusiasm for working is back. And your support means everything to me. There is no company behind me, whether it's a small company or a big company that is telling me how to do these podcasts, which guests I can have, how long I can speak for. Everything that happens is 100% on me. And that is very exciting, but it's also very scary. If there are future sponsors, sponsorships coming my way, I'm the one that has to get that done. And by the way, if you would like to be a sponsor of this podcast, please reach out. Ted Stryker Instagram, Tuna on Toast Instagram. There are many ways to find me. But the most important thing for me as we sit here today is my happiness. Uh, It's my mental health and that feeling like I'm actually accomplishing something that I'm very proud of. And with that being said, again, thank you so much for the support. Spread the word on this show. It means everything. The great Tom DeLong is going to be on the next episode. M. Shadows is coming up. Mike Shinoda. The list of guests is going to blow your mind. And a majority of them are coming over to my house where I live in my spare bedroom. The only reason why Tom Morello didn't come over, and it's for good reason, his mom is 98 years old. Shout out to Mary. He's got young kids, and he doesn't want to you know, do anything bad. So here he is. We did it via Zoom. You can also watch this interview on YouTube. It is the one and only Tom Morello. Check one, two. Hello. Hello. Tom Morello, Joey and Tuna on Toast at Stryker. We're going to start out with this, man. I am very, very upset with you. I am very, very angry with you, and I have to get it off my chest straight away. Well, unburden yourself, young man. I listened to you on Sirius as a radio DJ. I listened to the interviews you do with artists. You are one of the, if not the greatest guitarists in my lifetime, and you're also one of the best hosts in my lifetime. And I hate you for that because I'm supposed to be a good host, Tom. Oh, dude, that's funny. I just like all that stuff. I just pretend like I'm sitting with friends at the rainbow. That's really the whole thing. There's not there's not anything more to it than that. There is no there is no secret sauce. Well, that is the secret sauce. The first thing that I was told when I got into radio, which was 28 years ago and I got into it by accident, the guy in Tucson said, pretend it's just you and I hanging out in the room and have a conversation. And so I took that note and I know I still need to get a lot better at this job, but I've taken that note and have attempted to apply it for all these years. Yeah, that's funny. Because when I I first started doing the podcast, I did the, look, there's no like bone in my body. It was like, one day I hope to have a podcast and a radio show. I was just like desperate for shit to do during lockdown to keep myself from losing my mind. So you know, I had this idea for the uh, for the podcast. I'm going to write these long political treatises and this, that, and the other. One was like, or we just pretend we're at the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> that turned out that turned out to be the winning formula, right there. <laughs> Tom, let's just say, um, an executive producer, show creator from Hulu or a network says we have a game show that's a combination of, say, The Price Is Right and card sharks, and you need to be the ringleader of this whole thing. You're going to be the host. Would you be interested in that? Absolutely not. Okay. The, only, the only show, the only show that I might want to host, like sort of in, in, you know, in, in retirement 30 years from now is, 
to be like sort of the judge Judy for rock bands, okay. like an arbitrator, like bring me. Okay. What's the problem today? Okay. And you sort of like sort it out. Okay. The bass player is correct here. Bang the gavel. And then the band has to go on and do what you say. That is such a good idea. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're going to get Serge, Darren, John and Shavo in there for, uh, for the pilot. <laughs> that would be a good one. The Atlas underground fire comes out yeah. on October 15th. From the first song, Harlem Hellfighter, to the very last track on there, which I think was like seven and nine minutes long, yeah. I was so locked into this thing. Can you just give me, let's start out with the big bullet points. When did you start making this sure. thing? Sure. So this is a, this is a pandemic album. Uh, from the time I was 17 years old till March of 2020, I had constantly been writing and recording and playing shows and all that came to a screeching halt, you know, in the midst of this plague and the anxiety and the fear and whatnot. I just didn't know that there would ever be another show or I might never write another song. There was sort of anxiety and depression and this kind of ennui. And I have a studio at my house, but I don't know how to work it. <laughs> so so uh, normally an engineer sits here and they okay. let me touch the, vo the volume knob. That's the only one that they allow me to, to touch. So it was really looking at this complete drought of music for the first time in my adult life. And, you know, as someone who was always kind of identified as a musician, as an activist, I was neither. I was a, you know, a caretaker and a plumber and a window fix, like, you know, everybody was during that time. Um, and inspiration, you know, for this came from a very, very unlikely place. I was reading an interview or some Twitter feed of, of Kanye West, where he was bragging about, um, recording the vocals for a couple of his albums onto the voice memo of his phone. Okay. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for Kanye vocals, maybe I can record guitar. So I just took my iPhone, set it on a chair in front of my amp and started ripping. And it sounded fantastic. And then I began sending these riffs to producers and engineers and artists around the world. And all of a sudden this cloistered uh, solitary bunker that came like sort of musical pen pal central you know and you know i mean the, the 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 places some of the places where this record was recorded outside of the studio were springsteen was in new jersey bring me the horizon was in uh brazil in the uk chris stapleton was in nashville mike posner summited everest between the beginning and the end of the recording of the song he was recording vocals in nepal at twenty five thousand feet what i kid i kid you not he summited everest for real I knew he did that, but so he was hearing the music you were creating based on the music. Mike Posner, let's take him right now. Love, yeah. love the song. Yeah. He put lyrics to it and would send it back to you. Then what did you do? Well, correct. I mean, he was he was sometimes hard to reach because okay. he was like on the back of a Sherpa. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I was like so you know, so that was a, it was a collaborative effort at, at times. You know, I would send him at some when we were kind of headed headed towards the deadline of the record. I'm like, please check the latest mix. And he's like. Right now, bro, I've got like three tanks of oxygen and I'm just trying trying to stay alive at, you know, camp four or something. Right. Um, you know, and so we would go back and forth. Damian Marley was in Jamaica. Um, Dennis from Refuse was in was in uh, uh, Sweden and Sama Abdul Hadi was a great young Palestinian DJ. She was in Palestine during that. So I was 100 percent alone, but forging this kind of collaborative community around the globe. And this record, let me just tell you, it was not about, oh, I've got ideas and I must be great. It was a it was a life raft. It was an wow. antidepressant. Wow. It was just a way in the middle of every crazy day to feel sort of connected beyond the beyond the plague, you know? Tom, I'll tell you how I felt when I heard Ollie Sykes on your song, um, Let's Get the Party Started. Yeah. I got chills from it. And <clears throat> That's a jam. it's one of those jams where 
It makes you feel good and jump around. But then when you listen closer, it really hits, hits your heart yeah. and hits your brain. What yeah. did you think when you got his lyrics for the very yeah. first time and how he sounded? Yeah. So first of all, bring me the horizon. I love the fact that they just unapologetically wave the flag of, you know, hard rock and metal and they don't care and I don't care and we don't care. And it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so I sent them some riffs and, and the one thing that I thought about this record was like, in order for it to, in order to connect, it has to be authentic. So this was not a time where my mindset was, I'm going to write you know, I need 12 songs about labor unions in Guatemala or something like it's got to be real. It's got to like be from this time. And and his song that he wrote, which is, you know, called Let's Get the Party Started, which both on the surface feels like, hey, let's it's it's about like when you're confronted with a mountain of anxiety, you could party yourself to death. Like you could right. take that road and just kind of go like I'm I don't care and I'm out. And so, you know, there's a weight to it in a way. And I think it's a, it's one of my favorite songs on the record. And I think that that's a song that we're going to be enjoying listening to in my house for some time. I listen to it over and over and over again. Like as Tom and I are hanging out right here, um, the album is not out yet. So thank you for sending me the tracks. Yep. I think it's number 10 charmed. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's electric. It's an electronic song. Yeah, it is yeah, so yeah. good. First, with, is, a lot of, with a lot of electric guitar in it. Too, yes. You know, and when it starts, Tom, you have me totally locked in on this song. Who is this DJ? I'm not that familiar with him. Yeah, proto hype. Yeah, yeah, proto hype. I was sitting, you know, I sometimes I sit around like how I would do this. I would sit down with my phone, I record a bunch of riffs like on a day, and I'd kind of go and I would literally just sit here, you know, before I had to go back to, you know, <laughs> keeping the grandmas alive and keeping the kids from going crazy and be like, who am I going to send this to today? Like sometimes it was just like so, as random as that. And sometimes I'd be going through like Spotify or like, or call up some friends who are younger and hipper than me and go like, what are you listening to right now? What's the last thing you listened to? And proto hype was on one of those lists. And I listened to his stuff and I'm like, dude can rock. Like I knew that he had like rock in his background. And, and, and so I just called him up and was just like, Hey, I can, can, I, can I send you a bunch of riffs? And he was like, yeah, dude. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, you know, we rocked that jam. And the one thing that, that you may not know about that song is there's three generations of Morellos on it. Both my kids, you know, when you hear like there's let's go. Yes. Like, that's a, that's a kid. The, then there's another one that goes, what's next. And that's another kid. And then my mom is the, <laughs> my mom's voice at 97 years old. She's like, what in the world is dubstep? That's your mom. That's Mary. That's Mary. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so good. Tom, I don't know if you care about getting awards or Grammys or whatever, but if these people at the Grammys, and I've worked with them four years in a row, like host backstage, I'm not a voter or anything. I hope they recognize how great the collection of these songs are. And I'm not just saying it because you're sitting here. Yeah. It has inspired me more than any other album in a very, very long time, especially yeah. when I hear like Grandson on there. And then you got Chris Stapleton and the sure. dude from Refused. It yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really feels good, Tom. Well, well thanks. Like my, my opinion of the Grammys is like, I totally disregard them until I'm nominated. And I'm all excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Rell will be hosting next I'm year's like, Grammys. I'm like, that is a ridiculous show. Like, oh, I got nominated. I hope I win. <laughs> right. I'll be very candid. And where are you when it comes to touring in 2022? Because Rage Against the Machine, you got a lot of shows coming up. You feel confident that it's all going to happen? You guys are going to do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, fingers crossed. It's like I've got a lot of friends who are out now and I text them constantly. Like, what is it? I will see the Instagram feeds and it looks like like nothing's ever changed out there. But, you know, I'm I've always been you know, read it like as someone who has a 97 year old mom and a 90 year old like mother in law. I don't want to kid that somebody come to my show and go home and kill their grandma you know what i mean so i want right. to do it in a way that feels like 
it's safe for band, for crew, and for people in the crowd. But very much looking forward to 2022. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that all goes well. When you've got all these new songs, and then you've got these Audio Slave songs, and the yeah. Solar Record stuff, and everything. Yeah. If I said, Tom, you got to go play 15 Rage songs with no <laughs> practice, could you do yeah. it like that? Oh, those, so there's a lot of muscle memory in those. You know what I mean? There's a lot, there's a lot of muscle memory in those. Those, those, those come back pretty, pretty quick. I don't know. I don't know that I could get all 15 note for note <laughs> right now. Right. But if you gave me, you, you gave me, a, you gave me 45 minutes, I might be able to get that together. <laughs> there's a few things, and you do this so wonderfully when you're interviewing bands, and it's something that I, attempt to do, I don't know if I do it as well as you, is I like to ask questions that I think I know the answers and maybe they were given once or twice, but they're not stuck in my brain. And now that you're here, if you tell me, I'm going to know. When you were, (laughs) when you were done, when you finished high school, was it within three or four months that you went to college, you went to Harvard or was there a long period of time? Yeah, no, no, I was, yeah, I went, I went my, the the next fall. Was there any part of you, because you have a great connection with your mom that was like, I feel bad that I'm leaving her. We have such a strong bond. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's I, I I thought about going to North. I grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago, so I thought about going to Northwestern too, which would have been closer. But like, no one from my town had ever been accepted to Harvard before. No one had ever applied either. So right. that, don't don't give it. I may not have been a particular genius. No one had ever thought of applying before. That was sort of. Uh, but I thought like, if the one guy, if like the one black kid in town is the first guy that gets accepted to Harvard and doesn't go, like that's not you. God, that didn't fit that didn't fit so um i did think though like i wanted to be i had a dog who was like i was an only child like who was like sort of my like my brother and near the family but it was i think it's important to leave the nest you know it's important to to get a perspective on where you're from by getting the hell out of there and there was a lot that i wanted to get away from and mm-hmm. now there's a lot that i appreciate having gotten gotten perspective from having left did you get good away. did you get good grades right away at harvard was it tough well, for you? I did. I did. But it was super like high, high school for me was 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 easy. And and, you know, it was a really Libertyville public high school it was a really good high school, but it wasn't super challenging for me. But Harvard was, I mean, great. I'll t- like I'll tell you my first night there. So I go there. I'm all fired up. I'm going to be political and I'm going to learn things. And so I take a course. My first class is modern political ideologies. My first assignment is to read Thomas Paine's The Rights of Man. Okay. That's my first assignment. So I'm like, I'm fired up. I'm whatever, 18 years old. And I'm going to, and I'm reading Thomas Paine's right. I go in the library. It's eight o'clock. I'm like, great. And, and that's, you know, then it's like 1245 AM and I'm about a third of the way through this book Uh-oh. that I have to finish for the morning. And I got another book I got to read and I have more classes tomorrow. I'm like, <laughs> uh Oh, I Libertyville public high school underprepared me for, for this shit, for this Ivy league shit. Yeah. And so, but, but I'm also a, uh, a stupidly driven person. I would not allow myself to not do as well in high school. So I just basically took everything out. of. I just played guitar and I studied and that was it until I, wow. you, know, and, you know, I don't recommend it. I wish kind of looking back, I had a social life. Tom, were you, did you feel the competitiveness of your fellow students there? Like you felt in high school or did, was there any competition there? I've never, I never felt competitive with any students in high school or anywhere else. I always, just kind of, I, know I, I tried to do well, but I wasn't like one of those. I knew at 19 years old, I wanted to play rock and roll. You did at 19. You knew, even though you're at Harvard. Yeah, I knew. And it, and it was a bit of a conflict because I, I, I started playing, when I started playing late. I started playing when I was 17 years old. Right. Yeah. So I was a beginner kind of when I, my freshman year, but I practiced a lot and I kind of, and I had a calling, like it's, it was a real calling. It wasn't a decision. It was like, 
I know I was good at a bunch. I was I could write. I could do art. I was interested in politics stuff. But I just all of a one day I remember I was practicing in the the, the little rehearsal studio near the laundry machine and the in the foosball table <laughs> right, over yeah. there. And it was kind of like the skies part of like you are a guitar player and that's the end of that. Wow. And I was like, okay. But now I had to jump like I was in school and but I went home that first um summer and I auditioned for some Chicago rock bands. And you know, I was 19 years old. I wasn't old enough to drink in a bar. And I got into these two like two bands wanted me that were gigging and I was like, I could do it now. Like I could be the hot shot Chicago guitar, like right now. Right. And and it was a real temptation. It was a real crossroads. I had to decide whether to, you know, to because they didn't, they were, I was like, Hey, can I be in your band for the summer? And then I'll go back. (laughs) No, dude. Like, like, It's not like a summer job at pizza. I want a summer job. I want a summer job. Uh, but I decided to stay in school and you uh, decided, or was it you and your mom together? Oh, no, just... my mom was always super supportive. of Damn, whatever. That's crazy, awesome. Tom crazy, crazy notion. I had. Yeah. And then when you were done with school, how old were you when you got to LA? I guess 20, 22. How'd you know where to live and where, where in this city? I had zero life skills, dude. Like I knew <laughs> my, my, I could, you know, I knew all about like Noam Chomsky and, and Hegel and Marx and whatnot, yeah. but I didn't know, I didn't know. My only job experience, how I worked my, my, I got a lot of scholarship stuff to, to, to go to, to, to Harvard, but, but my w- job experience was working at the Renaissance fair in the summers. So I could, what'd you do at the Renaissance fair? I juggled and I was a wandering minstrel <laughs> and I was like, you know, like an actor and whatnot in tights. That was, I, so anyway, so my resume was juggling. It was like Ivy league degree <laughs> plus juggler and you know, guitarist. Irish, pirate shanty right guy and so so i when i moved i moved to hollywood in 86 i was unemployable like i was doing i was doing temp uh, not even temporary i was doing like uh you know uh, calling people trying to sell them garbage bags and stuff at you know one dollar an hour or whatever that was and right was, there were challenges who was the first you're out here in la who was the first like real rock star that you met not they were gonna be one but it was like happening for them in the in the eighties time. That's a I didn't meet uh, the first rock star I saw and I did not meet was Ozzy Osbourne shambling down like the at some like a late night restaurant. Just I'm like, holy shit, that's Ozzy. And he was just sort of like you know, like, like, you know, I don't know what particular state of his life he was in then, but he was shambling. I was like, that's gosh darn Ozzy Osbourne, right? right yeah, uh, I don't remember like the first rock star I met was probably no i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you the first rock star i met was perry farrell and he wasn't he he wasn't a rock star yet but he was he was they had made nothing shocking but nothing shocking hadn't come out and i snuck into a jane's rehearsal and i was a big fan of them as a local band. he was a rock star of course and so when you snuck in and you watched jane's addiction rehearsal even though as skilled as you are now on guitar and you were still early in your guitar playing days did you say, holy crap, well, whatever were, I do were, now has got to be as good or better than that? Well, they were, I mean, they were, they were it. They were, because what they did, along with a couple other bands, I'd credit Soundgarden and, and Living Color on sort of a short list, is they redeemed hard rock metal music. Like, I, everybody, all of us who loved hard rock music, but were somewhat embarrassed by like the devil stuff and the groupies st- and like that, all of a sudden there were bands that were kicking my ass just as hard, just as hard as Sabbath and ACDC and Led Zeppelin. Oh. But there was like a, like an, like an artistic and intellectual content and a poet, poetic content to it. Um, 
And so I was all in on Jane's. I'm sorry, but you asked a specific question that I like. Were they so good when you walked in that yeah, it, it yeah, all like you were like yeah. taken aback? Like uh, that, re- that rehearsal was. I don't know. They were, but 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 early on, um, the singer of my band Lockup. I was in a band. Before. Yeah, you guys got signed right to get. Yeah, was that got, Geffen? Yeah, 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 yeah. But the singer of, of Lockup, Brian Grillo, was friends with Perry Farrell, and so they were playing New Year's Eve. This would have been New Year's Eve '88, maybe something like that. Um, downtown. And they asked Lockup not to open up for them, but to impersonate them. <laughs> oh my God. So the lights go down. Yeah. The crowd roars. And out on stage comes me in a Dave Navarro wig. And we play, and the singers got like dreads and the drum, and we play pigs in Zen, like to the best of our to the right. best of our limited ability. Yeah. Um, uh, and but I re- I remember, I remember the feeling, like I had been to a lot of shows and but I remember the feeling that I got from the crowd. There are bands that people like, there are bands that people love, and then there are bands that people believe in. And the and the the intensity off of that, it wasn't for me. I was an imposter. You were Dave was, Navarro with the I was, a wig a, on. I was an imposter. They didn't, but they, I felt like that kind of like almost sort of like religious intensity. And I remember th- as we, you know, we played half the song, lights went out, they came on and finished the show. And I remember going like, like I've never been in a room with that before. And I, wow. you know, I, I hope to one day, you know, be able to try to create something that creates a feeling like that and you you have for many many years i give a damn about the rock and roll hall of fame i don't apologize for that because i root for the athletes that sure. i loved as a kid to get sure. in the hall of fame sure. and sure. the musicians and rage against the machine jane's addiction i see those three and i'm like okay some of the most influential bands in everyone probably that's listening and watching us they've been inspired by those three what do we have to do to get you and them in. Well, dude, I'm I'm in the room. I know. know. So I, I, I'm in the room, and I've gotten Jane's on the ballot a few times. Rage has been on the ballot. It's like it's a it's the my take is that I, I will say this that the, while I had the reason why they let me in the room is because I complained so much about how horrible the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was, and to their credit, they like will let me in to have a voice at that table and you've inducted a couple bands in there clash and kiss was it right yeah i've inducted the clash and kiss and and i you know and i've been i've advocated for a number of bands that have gotten in that might not have otherwise had that voice voice at the table but for me like the problem is it's 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 systemic in that there's many more bands that deserve to be in the rock and roll hall of fame than can be just simply because of procedural stuff i don't think that anyone in that room is like I hate Rage Against the Machine. I don't think it should be in, but only X number can get in a year. And then every year there's a new number that are available to be nominated. And so that takes up chairs at the table. Okay. And some artists who got in with one band get in again as a solo artist, which takes another chair. So it's like, there's, I think, procedural stuff, which are stopping the right thing. But I would love for Jane's Addiction to, to get in. And Rage there's Against the Machine. You don't have to say it for yourself, but Rage Against the Machine yeah. should be in. Uh, before you, the, your debut album, were you and the guys from Rage, were you playing like almost every night in LA or is it more of a weekly thing in LA? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, we were, uh, I mean, here's the thing is like, there was the scene, there was a scene then, which was, which was, which was vibrant. Um, and, but it was also transitional. It was still, it was, it was just as the Nirvana and the Pearl Jam records were Hap were bo- boiling. They had not boiled over, but they were boiling. And there was a real different mindset in record companies where there was this kind of genre of music that couldn't be A&R'd 
mm. in the way that they had in our like our is couldn't be sort of like prior to the ascent of Nirvana and Pearl Jam record companies I think thought here's how we do it we've got a way to do it and it goes like this after that they're like we don't know what's happening we just know it's selling a lot of records so we'd like to be in, in, involved in it. so Tool was uh you know a I mean, local band yeah. and they had gotten uh you know a record deal offer after their eighth show because like it was crystal clear that like something was going on then then we opened up we were friends with those guys yeah from mate, roommates and whatnot uh we opened up for tool at jabberjaw in 91 or 90 92 early 92 and then we got a record deal offer after our second show so two shows so you didn't have to go into a a room at a record company and they're like guys let's see you play some music <laughs> No, no, though we did end up in some rooms like that that were just like horror. As the, oh, as the transition was happening, there was still a lot of the, like the dinosaurs, before the mammals could completely take over, right. there were a number of dinosaur rooms that were just so crazy. You'd be like, you don't, you're not reading the room very well today, sir. You're not. Um. But anyway, so yeah, so it was, it was, then we, and we, we were sort of gigging and that. But here's the thing is like, I had had a record deal before and I knew that it was bullshit like it didn't matter it didn't make my life better made my life worse mm. so it's simply the fact that you're offered a record like everybody back home in illinois is like oh my gosh they must be millionaires they were offered no <laughs> my my when i got my lockup record deal my life got a lot worse after having that i got is it be- i was poorer okay i felt worse about my creativity and like than i had when i was just in the club band so simply dangling that didn't really didn't carry any weights at, at all there was you know a lot of sort of other stuff that I felt was more, was more important than simply having a record. Um, but anyway, so, so, you know, but it was a time when, when there was such a healthy sort of, it reminded me of sort of like maybe sort of 77 in, um, you know, in the UK with the punk bands where before punk sort of solidified into, it sounds like this, you know what I mean? Like it was just bands that were, could be anything, you know, and, and that, that, that class of those years, which you could say, you know, maybe from Smashing Pumpkins to Nine Inch Nails to Chili Peppers to Rage, Tool, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, uh, Soundgarden, you know, like that. Mall, yeah. Um, was like sort of the first wave of, of bands that had just sort of been doing their own thing in anonymity, you know. And then, you know, we were the ones that toured together on the first couple of Lollapaloozas before right. it became, ah, here's the new thing and it needs to sound like this and it needs to be marketed in in this way. You played one of the first, if not the first Lollapalooza and you um, did the second one. We the played second... side, side stage in 92, just in LA and then opened main stage in 93. And you played the very first Coachella back in 1999 as yes. well. Weird. Yeah. yeah. And the, and Coachella was so unsuccessful. They asked for half the money back. No. Yeah. Did you give it to yeah. them? We did. Because they were friends. It was Whoa. Golden Voice. Golden They had booked lockup show. Like they had booked every back alley show from day one. I was they there. They were the punk rock promoters. Like they were like right. they were just like bros, you know, who did the punk rock show. What a nice move to give it back. Then you play like in two thousand seven. We should have so? asked for a piece of the festival. That's what we should have. <laughs> I'm not much of a businessman. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh my God. 92, 96, 99. It's new music. Tom Morello, Tom Morello, Tom Morello. Then 2002, you got Audio Slave going on. And yeah. again, this is a, a, maybe just answer it quickly. Who said, hey, uh, let's get you, you three incredible gentlemen and uh, let's work with uh, Chris Cornell. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is like there, there was a, you know, Tim and Brad and I knew that we wanted to play together. And there were, there were some interesting offers like from our record company, They're like, okay, we've got a great idea. You should be 
so-and-so's backup band and oh. i will not name but there were some interesting names that were like in the like, in the rock under the rock umbrella ish you know there was a, there was more they were like they were like here's a commodity and there's a way we, we plug in so and we were just like oh my gosh like why don't you just hold on like just hold your horses but we spent a lot of time over at rick rubin's house and um uh, we wanted whatever we were going to do we wanted to work with rick and we spent a lot of time listening to uh bad motorfinger you mm-hmm. know which had been a really important formative record for everybody and uh particularly the song slaves and bulldozers which when you crank that thing up on rick speakers we're like that guy like that is just insane like what that guy is saying and doing on that song so um rick and i went to go talk to him and he was living in chris was living in ojai and which is about an hour and plus outside of la chris cornell was in ojai <laughs> yeah chris chris cornell lived in ojai he's a singer song and which was had disbanded and it was sort of unknown what Chris was up to at the time. Um, and you know, the, th- the thing that like came through on the bad motor finger record and throughout Chris's sort of earlier lyrics was it was really dark and it was like spooky. And it was, and it was like, it was kind of like, I don't know who this person is based on the things that he is saying in these songs. Mm. Um, so Rick and I go and Rick, Rick like, we go up there in my like old van, like I have an old Chevy van and Rick doesn't go anywhere for anybody. He normally, if he goes somewhere, it's in a Rolls Royce. It's in another Rolls Royce. <laughs> I mean, like he's not, he's not, he's not trying to go anywhere. Right. So he's in my van. So he must be serious. So we drive up there, we get, we get a late start. So we get up there and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of darkening and there's woods around. And of course, Chris lives on the last loneliest mansion on the last oh. loneliest hill. And, you know, it's, it's shadowy and it's dark. And we pull up in this kind of like Spanish style, you know, home with a couple of motorcycles out front, in this long winding stairway. And we pull in and then the big kind of front door, like the super tall front doors, they open like adam's family style like nobody opening the doors and out walks chris you know six three lanky of frame and dark of decorum supermodel look at the same time and come he starts sort of like loping slowly down the stairs and rick turns me goes let's get the fuck out of (laughs) here he's like our souls are at stake (laughs) i'm like i don't know that guy's got a vibe it's like i feel you fortunately we did not chicken out and we you know, managed to be in a band called Audio Slave for about six years and made records, and I'm very proud. You made a lot of, you made three uh, yeah. studio full lengths, and I think yep. you guys went to, did you go to Cuba with? Yeah, we were the first American rock and roll yeah, band to man. ever play in the country of Cuba. It was uh, really great to be in a band with Chris, and, you know, and and I never, while he was a friend and a bandmate, I'd never stopped being a fan and being in awe of just his, wow. you know, his, his musicianship and his, like, there's, it's a really unique combination of talents in one person. You know, first of all, to be able to sing like that in the top whatever echelon of singers ever in any in any genre, and then to be that kind of songwriter who both is able to fearlessly play the heaviest music but write a beautiful Beatles-like ballad, and then to look like that. Like, are you? It's a crazy, it's a crazy combination. It was just a real honor to to know and you know love Chris. I don't know if you feel this, Tom, but I do. Like I love Audio Slave. I loved Audio Slave from the first second I heard one of your songs. As we sit here in 2021, I don't think you guys get I think you've become almost an under Audio Slave has become almost underrated. Do you feel that at all? I don't really I don't think about it that much. I mean, okay. I think the, the one thing that we that we've never particularly looked to doing is kind of curating the catalog and that's sort of one of the reasons why there's not like a bunch of reissues that come out constantly and things like that, but uh you know, I just I look back on that time really really fondly and 
the tremendous adventures that we had, you know, around the, around the planet and just, you know, getting that, like, again, I was a huge fan of, when I was in lockup, that band from a million years ago, like yeah. the rule is when you're in the, in the band and you're the one driving the van, you get to pick the music. So when I was the one driving the van, it was always those first sound, the, the, the EPs, like the cassettes, screaming life and that, those cassettes yeah. and are driving everybody else crazy. Like, why is that guy <laughs> screaming? He's screaming so much. I'm like, it's awesome, dude. Little, little did I know that one day I would like, you know, to, you know, know and love and, you know, tour the world with Chris. So right. All it. right. Tom Morello, again, the Atlas underground fire comes out on October 15th. Song after song after song will hit you over the head. Um, I love the track, but I don't know if I mentioned the track with Fanagram. And real quick before I let you go, he's on your record, so you must love him. I am a huge fan of Grandson. Sure. How did sure. he end up on your radar and what did he bring yeah. to the table uh, yeah. for Hold the Line? Yeah, he uh, Grandson reached out a couple of years ago to ask me to do a remix of his song, um, uh, Blood in the Water, Blood Water. Yeah, Blood Water. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then that sort of introduced me to his catalog. And I was like, that dude's awesome. Like he's got, you know, he's got clearly has the Holy Spirit of rock and roll in him. But he also he also has like an intellect and a point of view. And and it's like the kind of thing that I really love and appreciate. And so when I was making this record, I was like, let's do a jam from scratch, dude. And he was happy to do it. And that, that was actually one of the, the only songs in this record that was recorded pre pandemic. That's one of the only guitar. I, I don't know if we even talk about. It, like I recorded all the guitars right in my phone, into your phone. This record, yeah, into my phone on this record. And so that was one of the only guitars that was actually recorded. Did he come to your house for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he told me. Just so you know, he said he was vi he was so nervous when he came to your house to do the song, and he because uh, he you know such a big fan. And that song, man. If I don't know if there's a way you can see how many times I've listened to each song. Man, I love all the lines so yeah. much. He's so good. That song is he's great. It's a, it's a jam. I mean, yeah. it's like it's it deli it delivers the goods. And and you know, it was a real it was a real pleasure. Like my my take is that the electric guitar is the greatest instrument ever invented by humankind. And but it's an instrument that doesn't just have a past; it has a future. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why I make these Atlas Underground records that are these collaborative affairs where, you know, it's younger artists like Fanagram and Grandson and Protohype and Femme, who I love. Love Femme. Um, you know, yeah, and Bring Me the Horizon. And it, it, and it's a way of, of, you know, some of those artists weren't born when, you know, Rage played Coachella in 2000. You know, like, you know, um, and, it, and, it's a, and it's a way of sort of inflicting my sort of guitar vision on the present and and the future while unapologetically playing sort of Marshall stack theory, but kind of like seeing what the future is for the guitar. That's that to me is really important because it's such a, like, I don't think that it should go the, in the same way that oh, I love the saxophone. The saxophone certainly hasn't disappeared, but it should not be an instrument for jazz clubs. It should be an instrument for arenas and stadiums, you know, now right. and forever. Yeah. Tom, that is a perfect way to end this episode. I feel so inspired right now, but I always feel inspired by you, man. You've been doing it for like 30 years. The great Tom Morello, the Atlas Underground Fire comes out October 15th. Thank you so much, Tom. Keep up the good work, and I appreciate you continuing to fly the flag of good music as you have for a long time, and keep that up, man. I we will. appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Can't wait to see you on the road. Hopefully, it's sooner than later. Best to you, your family, and your great mom as well. I'll see you soon. I <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, Stryker. Okay. Cheers, All right. buddy. Bye, Tom. Cheers. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise, it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. I can't guarantee it's going to be better. That was Tom freaking Morello, man. Tom Morello, episode one. 
it's pretty fun. Hey, uh, the next one will feature Tom DeLonge, and it's really, really, really good. It's a long one. We get into a bunch of great different topics. Thank you so much for the support. It means everything. Tuna on Toast Instagram. Also, you can watch the interviews on YouTube. Spread the word. This is a one-man operation. I need all the help I can get. See you on the next one. It is Ted Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye.